Hello and welcome to Voices of Development with your host Naomi Whitbourne. In this podcast, I speak to a diverse range of voices, all working to address global poverty and social inequality. Today, I'm speaking to Edmilson Angelo. Edmilson is the founder of Change One's Life, a UK registered charity helping those facing poverty across sub-Saharan Africa through practical and affordable strategies, including supplying food, clean water, clothes, medical aid, and education. Born and raised in Angola, Edmilson moved to the UK at the age of 18 but has maintained strong connections to his home country and a desire to support those in need. Edmilson put this aim into action during his first year at university in 2014, when he founded Change One's Life. Since then, he has continued to build the charity alongside a master's from the University of Oxford, a PhD, work with the UN, his role as a One Young World ambassador, and regular speaking events and interviews, including with the BBC. Today, Change One's Life has now distributed over 450,000 kilograms of food and clothes to over 1.5 million people. Edmilson's life motto is, we can be the change we want to see in the world. And I think those figures speak for themselves. Edmilson Angelo, welcome to Voices of Development. Thank you so much, Naomi. Thank you. It's an honor for me to be here. And thank you for the introduction. That was amazing. (laughs) I was reading the introduction, which, by the way, is an extremely impressive resume. The first part that really stood out to me was your life motto, which, as I just mentioned, is we can be the change we want to see in the world. And I'd like to start by asking... What does this mean to you? That's a very good question. Basically, this is actually something that to me, it means a lifestyle. It means a duty that everybody has for pretty much uh, contributing to the issues that we face because I'm very, I'm a believer of before you point fingers at somebody, you have to make sure to understand, you have to understand that when you point one finger to somebody, you have four more fingers pointing at you. And it's important for you to realize that um, we need to be the change we want to see simply because, you know, change happens when we begin to make change happen. I, I, this, is the, this has become a motto because um, I'm very influenced by people like uh, Gandhi, who actually the sentence comes from him. And, uh, and more than that, I have, I have come from a place where people have been very dependent on waiting for people to do things for them. And it is important for people to realize that the power to make change is within our hands. And once people realize that, they start doing wonders in terms of changing what they don't like and what they like, actually. So this is basically what it means to me. It means the capacity for me to realize how powerful I am, to not just complain and see things, but uh, change the things that I think should be changed. That was so eloquently put. And such a positive way to start a conversation today. And of course, these these personal aims that you just talk about, particularly that point about being able to make that change yourself, don't wait around, the power is in your hands. That really closely relates to the aims of change one's life, which 
which are, and, and I quote here, to feed the hungry, educate the poor, house the homeless and comfort the downcast. So why is it that you decided to focus on these areas and, and how are you going about that at Change One's Life? I guess if I had to summarize one sentence, I would say that our goal is to be the voice for the voiceless and that includes the environment. Uh, one of the main things, uh, one of the main reasons why there has been a big vision and a big um, goal in terms of our work with the charity has been because uh, poverty has been one of the biggest crime everywhere, everywhere, particularly where I come from, which is Angola and, and Africa in general. So I understood that it's important for me to realize what the main issues are in order for us to tackle in a, in a, in a, in a better and sustainable way. But uh, the reality of it is that sometimes in order for you to help a child, you need to help a whole family, you need to help a whole community. That is why our idea and our goal sort of like extends towards more fields, whether it's house the homeless, educate the poor, um, comfort the downcast. So basically we understood that in order for us to tackle a big issue, which is poverty, it's important for us to take an interdisciplinary approach in order for us to have the best and the most impactful um, influence on people's lives in a positive way. I really liked what you said there about giving a voice to the voiceless, which is very on brand for this podcast. So I'd like to ask what you mean by that. Basically, what I mean by that is the capacity for you to understand that um, with the power you have, you can basically reflect how people feel using the platforms that you have. A ex good example of it is, is that um, in many places where we go, for instance, in some of the villages that we work in, Namibia, in Angola, many times when we go out there, people want to express what they're living. People want to express what they are going through. And majority of the times, what we see doesn't really reflect what people are expressing over there. And this is actually something that we decided to implement within our charity, which is not try to portray things the way they are not. Make sure that we go there with our open hearts and portray what we are seeing and what we are feeling. And most of the times it's the capacity for, for us to take people in, 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 to these villages and to these communities and make them understand that where you are going, you are going to see happiness. Besides everything that people don't really have, you are going to see happiness. And this is the type of things that people want to pass into the, to, into, into the community outside is that, Besides all our concerns and, and all our struggles, there's still happiness here. That is why you need to be grateful for whatever you have, for whatever you are living and for whatever you are going through. So being the voice for the voiceless, I was realizing that maybe with the platform that we have, which is the capacity to mobilize a, wide, a bigger community to come together for a good cause, we can maybe start to give the visions of the people that we are working with because we believe in participation. So many of the things that we do reflects what we are going through in terms of what, where we are working in the communities. So that's basically what, 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 we, what, what do we mean by uh, giving a voice to the voiceless. And, and, and as, as we know, in many, in many places, including the place where I'm from, the place in the continent where we work, many people who are, who are, who are oppressed, whether economically, whether politically, uh, they tend not to have a voice in this space. And, and when we do the work that we do in the way that we are doing it, we tend to express or maximize the voices and whatever they are going through. And when I mean the environment as well, is that 
even though the environment seems like it's it's perhaps the thing that speaks the most that but that we don't listen to it and uh, and that's why it's important for me to emphasize this idea that be the voice being the voice of the voiceless including the environment because this has been something that as we go on we start we are more and more putting towards our agenda you make a really important point there about participation with local communities and also the role the environment plays. And I'd love to hear more about some of these participatory projects that you've been working on, which, which I know are in Angola, your home country, as well as Namibia, Mozambique and South Africa. So could you share some examples of these, perhaps some of your favourite projects or those that have had the greatest impact? Uh, that is a very tricky question because we've been doing the work that we do for over six years now. And um, everything really began with um, when I came to the UK and started to realise that um, people in the West, they mobilise towards philanthropic work so much, even though they're not really you know, connected or they don't really live that on a daily basis. And this is how I began to think why if I come from places where I, 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 I see and, and live through these situations on a daily basis, I'm not able to do much. Why do people in the West do so much when they're not really connected with this reality? And that's how I started to do the work that I do with the charity. And in the first year, we, we basically, uh, the goal was just to ship donations to Africa. So I, I used to put up flyers at my uni asking people to donate um, clothes, school materials. And every time I used to go back for holidays, I used to pay extra luggage to carry the donations with me and, um, and donate it towards orphanage, street vendors. And, uh, and to me, I just wanted to do something in the beginning of it. Didn't have much experience. I was just a kid with a dream to not talk too much, but to do. It's actually one of our hashtags today, uh, do as you speak. And, um, and uh, what happened was I, I, we began with the, with the shipment of container. We shipped the, the first container in 2014. And in the very beginning of it, our aim was just to focus on education because we believe that education is the main weapon to fight poverty. But the reality is that sometimes when you go to a place, you might think that education is the key to solve the problem. But in order for that to actually happen or to have the impact that you are waiting for, you need to bring something else. And this is how we started to approach each mission or each project as something that starts from, you know, a deep, deep, deep analysis of what really is the reality of the communities together with what people say that they really needed for their own development. And I remember when we started with the um, weekly classes in Bengal, which is one of the provinces in Angola, the kids were not getting a lot out of it. And we started asking ourselves, why is that even though we are dedicating ourselves so much to teach these kids so that they can integrate into society easily, they're not getting the message. And the reality was that um, it was impossible for you to teach people when, 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 when they don't have um, electricity to practice what you are teaching. When the days or the hours of the days for them is, is nothing compared to our hours of the days. You know, the days starts at 6 a.m. and finish at 6 p.m. basically when the sun goes down. So this is how we began to look for solutions for us to try and implement something that could actually have a bigger impact. And this is how we, we, we started with our um, solar panel uh, project, our, solar, our light project, which aims to fight the, the electricity crisis in Africa 
But more than that, really try and uh, make sure that people stop using uh, kerosene um, and, and things that are dangerous, not just for their health, but also for the life as a whole. So Project Light is perhaps one of, one of the projects that um, when we began really had the impact that we didn't expect. But um, I, I would definitely say that one of the biggest projects that we have and that, uh, um, that I call perhaps the biggest legacy that will come from um, Change One's Life in the, in the next year is our, um, is our um, digital and ecological villages, which is sort of like a, a hub in the villages where we are trying to bring in technology and put together with um, the, 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 the activities that are being um, practiced in this community, such as farming, such as, um, such as uh, fishing, and make sure that we give people the resources for them to pretty much develop their own village and see villages come alive. So we are transforming the containers that we ship into digital classrooms, digital medical centers. We are building uh, uh, sports fields into, into, into these places so that we can use sports as a, as a vehicle to teach people um, real education in terms of, of how to integrate into society. We are basically transforming uh, the farmer into a businessman uh, and empower people to make sure that they can actually come, you know, become a, 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 a hub of, 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 of um, innovation, a hub of development for not just the village, but also the country as a whole. You know, we, we want to make sure that the banana that is being made in one of these villages can come all the way to Tesco, just for, so that we can actually tell the story of how important it is for us to do this ecosystem of development. So we have that, but for me, like I said, because I'm really in touch into each, each of the ideas that we have, um, I, I, I would definitely say that, um, the, the digital and ecological villages are perhaps the main one, but obviously we also have the, the kids hand washing stations, which is something that came uh, and pretty much transformed, changed one's life into uh, a social entrepreneurship because it started to provide jobs to kids, uh, started to provide jobs to, not to kids, jobs to, to people, uh, to youth in Angola. It pretty much changed the whole dynamic of changed one's life. And given the fact that the project, the project came during the pandemic, also makes this project very special to me, but I'll definitely say the, the, the digital and ecological village is perhaps the one that I, that, I, that I have, perhaps maybe because I, really, I can already imagine what this is gonna become. That's the reason why I have such a strong connection with it because I, it's, just, it's just too big for people to imagine that it's possible to do it. These digital villages sound incredible and really shows what is possible in this digital age. And it would be great to hear more about this work, including the technology that you've been using and also how communities have been given access to this technology. Right. So basically, uh, in the very start of it, in the, in the first phase of it, we, we were just trying to provide what we had. So we've been going to these communities for the past six years. We've been distributing clothes. We've been distributing uh, food, even though many people don't see this uh, practice as sustainable. But the reality is that wherever you go and you really want to have a big impact while you are working towards something that is going to have a long-term impact you need to make sure that you're also solving the right now problems and that's the reason why we, we, we until today we continue to distribute clothes we continue to distribute food while we are now implementing projects that have a, a, a bigger or a longer vision but the reality was it that we started with the education side of it and then we started bringing in the, the, the health side of it where we started to work with our partners and used to go to these villages 
do malaria tests in, 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 on, on, on the dot where people could actually see if they have the malaria, then we could direct them to the um, medical center nearby. Uh, basically, this is like the village is the, is the, is the I guess, is the final piece of the project. So you have different phases where we build, uh, like I said, basically, we are bringing the ecological side of it where we are using these materials such as containers and transforming these containers into um, uh, solar panel dig uh, digital classes. Like we're gonna have solar panels in the containers. Um, we are also, obviously we are, we are looking for, for, for to bring in the innovation side of it where we managed to get some donation from um, Microsoft actually where we're gonna be getting some computers as well. Uh, we are using some drones to, to, to maximize the capacity, the production of, of, of of uh, the, the, the things that they produce in the villages, because we noticed that in many places, because they only know one thing, so everybody makes or produces the same thing, which in a way is, it's, it's a little bit uh, problematic because then there's just so much of it that they don't, either somebody's not gonna sell it or they just won't have a way to, 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 um, to channel everything that they're producing. So one of the ideas that we, we came up with was to give a challenge to each families in the communities and different families, different, different, different families produce different type of, 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 of um, pro, uh, products. For, for us, for instance, one can produce the tomato, the other one can do the bananas, the other ones can do the, the, the mangoes. And basically, and then they can exchange within themselves, within the village. And that way they can basically increase the productivity of, of whatever they are making. And when they sell it, basically the, the, the probability of each one of them actually having a market for their own is much higher than everybody just making, you know, one thing. Because uh, I know that in many of these places, they like to be known for one thing, like that village, the village that makes the best bananas, basically. But that is also problematic because you become very, very dependent on that. And there isn't much that you can really rely on if that doesn't happen. So this is some of the things that we're using. So we are using drones to, to, to you know, to maximize the capacity of production. Uh, we are using uh, technology like computers, iPads, to bring education and digital, um, digital economy to the whole community as well. Uh, we are also using, like I said, the, the solar panel to promote a more ecological energy, a more sustainable energy. And more than that, to use the resources that Africa has the most, which is the sun to try and really just see a whole village come alive. That's why at night, when you see the lights are up, are out, you see that um, it's literally it's like, a, it's, like, it's like a rebirth, pretty much. I can only imagine how that feels. And for you particularly, going back to Angola and seeing the impact that that's having, I can imagine that feels extremely gratifying. 100%. Yeah. In fact, how does that feel? I'd love to, I'd love to get a bit of an insight into that. That is a... a that, you know, it's um, one thing about about these journeys that it has been a very crazy, crazy, crazy and in a, in a grateful journey because I, I'm, I'm, I always believe that um, it's important for you, whatever you do, I always start from home because it, 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 the probability of you going in the right way if you start from home, I always hire because I think it's where you solidify not only your, your, your vision, but also it's like, I, don't, I wouldn't even say like paying homage, but um. I am because you are basically these type of ideas that we have in Africa where I am because you are and you are because we are. And uh, one of the things that I always had in, in mind was that um, when I decided to start with a charity, I, I, I wanted to, I realized that I had a bigger vision, not just for my country, but for the continent as a whole. But it was very important for me to start from home, not just because this is the case study that I knew the best 
and maybe that's the reason why we could actually um uh you can you could actually um you know tackle the problem in a much easier way but it's also one of those places one of those places where you say if you can make it there you can make it anyway so it was a big challenge for for me to be like you know what even though this is a country that has a lot of resources that has big problems and where the charity side of it is not really as big as like you know as in somalia as in you know other countries in africa because i know this country and i think there's a big 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 potential in terms of the youth to be involved in this i think this can actually happen and it's funny because only after 6 years people are actually starting to believe that well this is actually this is actually some this is so big and this has been here all this time but um is a little bit complex because um i think one of the biggest advantage of change one's life which is also paradoxical because it was important to start from abroad because that way you could have a bigger you know a bigger i wouldn't say audience but a bigger market for you to go and mobilize people to help um but also um you also find a lot of difficulties when you start from outside trying to work from at home because you know they like it when things are are, are created at home but uh, which is a little bit problematic because if things dead do not work and then basically your work just stops back in the first i remember the first time i ship a container it was actually a very difficult story because it it cost me more to take the container out of the port than to ship the container from the uk all the way to angola uh just because of the bureaucracies and everything that was going on at the time but um that was just what made me believe that you know maybe i have a very big important mission here to to to, to you know to go against all odds and continue to help people as much as i can but i have to do it in a way that people realize that um you know because um people realize that um i'm not doing it for any 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 sort of you know any sort of um reasons behind that could maybe make people see me as a challenge to them and uh that was important for me to do things behind the door so we did a lot of things all these 6 years but people just didn't know it because we decided to do things that way you know just to make sure that we build trust with the communities that we carry out research just to make sure that we actually understand what we are doing while at the same time not make too much noise because we know how things are uh in terms of doing the type of work we do back home but every time i go back home i think it's it's always it always feels like um i'm 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 re, you know like it's like i'm like i'm born again you know and once you start getting you know mothers giving your name to the kids you know when you go to communities and they really feel like you are one of them you know these are things that money can't buy and i think i have now reached that point that's why as the years continue to go by i realize that maybe this is just my destiny here and i have to carry out you know with the best responsibility that i can and with the best um you know effort in my hands to try and make this happen because uh it's 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 really what i'm destined to do is to try and do my bit and make sure that i inspire the people to do the bit so that that way we can actually solve um the problem not just for angola but for for our continent as a whole and uh, and uh, like i said i'm i'm I, everything i do even though it starts from home it always has a global vision so that's why i always said local solutions for global problems i think that part about local solutions for global problems is such an important point and you also talk there about some of the challenges with starting outside of the country and i'd i'd love to get your thoughts on what some of those challenges and and also how you've overcome those at change one's life have been because you know you talk so eloquently about the need to involve the local population for it to be community driven and i can see that that can that can come at attention sometimes so how have you how have you reconciled that 
uh, it, it's uh, one of the one of the the ways in which that has which I have been da- doing that is the fact that I'm, I have been very aware of uh, my positionality, and I've been playing with that in order for me to make the most out of the work that I do. You know, even though I'm Angolan and I'm African, yet you know I'm carrying a charity that I've given an English name in some of these places that don't speak English. So for them to understand really what that that is, it's that is very important. But more than that, I think um, the main key is for you to solve some of these issues, really to involve people. And and I know this can sometimes be difficult because, you know, there's just a lot of things beyond our powers that happen in countries like uh, mine and in in, in many countries, not just in Africa, but everywhere else, where you need to make sure that, um, you know, you, you try and involve the people that you actually know they will contribute to what you are trying to do. Because we are not trying to solve all the problems we are trying to just show people that it's possible for them to solve some of the problems and once people understand that and you actually start giving people the mechanism for them to start becoming the solutions to their own problems people start realizing that this is not just charity this is actually a duty that's everybody's duty i think it's my duty as a citizen it's my duty as a not just as a citizen of, 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 of angola but a citizen of the globe it's my duty to do my part because I know that things are wrong. And more than a charity, that's why I always call Change One's Life like a lifestyle. It's more than a charity. It's, it's more than a charity because it's allowing people to see that it's possible for you to do something. doesn't matter in which position you are and what you are doing right now. You can actually uh, go through the challenge and make change happen. Uh, it all depends on the scale of the change they're trying to make. And one of the, 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 the solutions to many of these struggles or these, um, um, or these dilemmas that we encounter is, is you have to understand that everything is a process. If you are trying to have big impact, you need to make sure that it's gonna take long. It's gonna take long. You can't just go somebody somewhere and say, and believe that or think that you know what the solution is and, and, and what people need to do for them to, 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 to solve the problem. It is the idea of one size fits all, I think, my academic life has also helped me a lot because I approach charity work as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a deep research as well. Because for you to be able to go into a place and be welcome, you need to understand the dynamics. You need to play the positionality role. Where, when should I be a local Angolan? Where, when should I be a youth that is also going through the same struggles? When should I be a director of a charity that is actually doing something and came to help all these things. So it's very important for people to be aware of the, the, the positionality because many times you get people that um, because they are from a country, they automatically believe that they have the capacity to, or they know everything and, and to, you know, they, they know what to do in order to solve whatever uh, issues people are facing. But our positionality is a very important thing for us to be able to tackle these, uh, these struggles. Participation and involvement, make sure that you, you, you ask for help you involve local communities, like, like one of the things that we did during the pandemics. We realized that we had the logistics, we had the food, we had the clothes, we had pretty much everything, but yet we still opened up the space for us to bring other groups from civil society to bring what they had so that we can actually do something big or even bigger. And that's how we ended up helping so many people during the pandemic, more than 200,000 people because we changed one's life could come with the hand washing stations. Another uh, local NGO could come with the soap that they were making locally. Somebody else could come with the alcohol gel. So it was just amazing to see how when needed, we can actually come up with solutions for our own problems. 
So participation and involvement is a very important thing. And, uh, and more than that is, is, is just um, having a direction, having a very strong direction and, 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 and asking for help when you need it pretty much because uh, the power of change on life more than being this big vision that is working is the capacity for you to tell people that, look, this is not at Milson's work. This is not at Milson's, you know, this is not at Milson's, you know, company. This is just something that maybe my role was to start it. Now it's your job to carry on with it and try to make this, you know, maybe perhaps one of the biggest charities for our own sake. So basically, these are some of the things that I've been using it in order to make sure that uh, that uh, that uh, that uh, things, you know, all these struggles that we face, we are we are you know we are well equipped to to face them. This theme about being participatory that you've just talked about there and really community driven feels like it's a a really important if not the central theme running through change one's life and and I know you also talk about the importance of involving children in decision making I know you also spoke earlier about how education was your initial number one goal and I'd love to hear more about how you've involved children basically um this you know I'm, I'm even smiling right now because change one's life is all about children pretty much I, and one of the phrases that um we we emphasize a lot is that um children are the heart of our work and they have always been that uh and um and um if you look at our logo it's actually a hand of a mother and uh in the, in the head of a child because one of the trips that i had before i established the charity i saw a child dying in his mother's hand and that image was so stuck into my head that I, I promised to myself that I'll never be, you know, I'll, I'll do everything that I can to be able to not see that again in my life. And that actually turned out to be the logo, change one's life. So if people go and look deep into the logo, it's a hand of a mother and in the head of a child. And, um, and um, so from then, from, from, from there, everything that we've been doing has literally focused on kids. But like I said in the very beginning, once we started to work in these places, we realized that sometimes in order for you to help a child, you need to help a mother, you need to help a family, you need to help a community, you need to help a whole country pretty much. For instance, if you're trying to help a child who his mother is a street, street vendor, it's impossible for you just to take the, the child and give him education. You need to empower the mother so that that way you're helping the child. So that's our vision continues to grow more and more and more. But um, but um, one of the things that um we've been we've been and I think many of our all of all of our projects have that idea in mind of children because we believe that um they are they are the real deal. That's our understanding of things. They are the real deal when it comes to really um uh, having hope for the future. They are the real deal. And when you empower them and you give them the mechanism necessary for them to excel and to have the right resources to bring change or to come up with a values that can allow them to understand that it's important for them to contribute, I think things can really happen in a very, very big way. We can start from looking at the ecological side of it, where we are now focused a lot on educating kids into how to do recycling. So all these things are really happening. So it's important for them to learn from now. We can then look at what we did during the pandemic with the hand washing stations for the kids. We were like, look, it seems like people have forgotten that these are actually the main segment that we need to focus on. Yes, we know that the elder people are more exposed to it, but what are we really doing if we're not focused on the kids? 
and there's no such thing as no, they are not the priority. So that's how we are like, how can we actually transform this negativity around COVID-19 and make it a way that can be more appealing to the kids and make them understand and get used to the practice of washing the, the hands. So this is how we came up with uh, hand washing stations that are designed with cartoons where the water comes out of the Pinocchio nose and just that on itself sort of like changed the whole dynamic and the whole negativity around COVID-19. And it's today perhaps the main instrument in Angola, helping the government to restart with the, school, with the, with the, with the education system again, uh, pretty much changed the whole game. So by doing that, we already noticed that we, not only were we solving the problem of today, we're also solving the problem of tomorrow because now kids will be getting used to this idea of washing their hands, which is a beautiful thing. And once a child puts in his head that he needs to wash his hands all this time, his or her hands all the time, there's no other way. No one is going to come in the house if the kids tell them, look, no one comes without washing their hands. So it's important for us to focus on the kids because we see them as much as uh, people who can actually send the message in a, in a better way, in a more sustainable way. And, and more than that, I think, you know, sometimes we don't really hear them much and we do and make decisions for them without knowing what they really want. And uh, in many of these places that we went to in terms of, in terms of uh, the village that we work, we, we started to see that um, when you actually bring them around, they always come up with things that, uh, you know, makes us go like, whoa, you know, that's why we, we, we are now so dedicated in, in everything we do. I always have that side of it. People already know whatever change one life does, uh, the focus will be kids or whatever they do, even if it's from a, from a bigger scale, they're going to have a part of it that focus on kids. So that's pretty much uh, what we've been doing since establishing the charity is because of the, what I went through and what I, I, I pretty much had an, as an idea. And I think when you do charity work, yes, I know that I, I mentioned this might, you know, sound a little bit um, contrary to what I just said that, you know, sometimes for you to help a child, you need to help a whole community. But the reality is that um, you need to have a target. And our target has always been children, even though that uh, we are helping other groups within society, but our target is children. At the end of the day, whatever we do, is going to benefit our child. So that's our vision and our work. Thank you for sharing that also candidly first of all I'm so sorry for that loss that you had to witness I can't imagine how that must have felt but I think that story that you ended on and that that really important message of the power of children was one of real real hope and positivity and a a wonderful message I think uh, for us all to take away there I I feel like I could speak to you all day about some of the incredible successes and the really positive changes that you've experienced. But I'm I'm also really keen to move our conversation on to some of the challenges that that you've experienced at Change One's Life. And I should caveat what I'm about to say by reinforcing <laughs> that I'm a very proud proponent of global development and a strong believer in the ongoing need for continued international support to the poorest regions of the world. But, but there, are, there is no doubt that there are some real challenges. And of course, one of the common critiques is that several billions have been donated to poor regions across the world for, for several decades, both in the African continent, as I know we're talking about today, and other regions of the world too. But yet there are still sadly millions of people living in extreme poverty and 
And if we think about Angola specifically for a moment, the country has received about 150,000 million US dollars of aid each year for the past two years. But yet approximately 16 million people or over half of the population still live in extreme poverty, which Mm -hmm. I think is a really stark statistic. So, and I realise there are no easy answers to this question, (laughs) but why do you think the short-term relief aid that you provide, at least in part, at Change One's Life is still needed to support the populations that you work with across sub-Saharan Africa. What do you think is happening there? Basically, uh, that's a very good question. I think that has been one of the biggest debates within academia on aid as a whole. And, uh, and I think if we, if, if, we, if we have to go and do an, uh, a deep analysis of the problem, we're always going to end up with the same um, answers, which is corruption, which is, you know, um, you know, uh, um, the political matter of it, which is one of the reasons why the way in which the, 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 the money is China doesn't really go where it's supposed to go. And the lack of involvement of the local, you know, grassroots organizations that are read that, you know, that really do the real work. But um, what I've been, because the reality is that even though people see Change Our Life as a very big charity now, we are, we are still very small, actually. We are very small compared to uh, many other charities. But the reality is that we are doing as much or perhaps more than the big charities do. And that's because we, we don't focus on the problems, we focus on the solutions. And sometimes we tend to work whatever we have and how we can just to make change. But uh, the reality of the matter is that um, in the very start of the charity, we, we, we are focused mainly on you know, working with whatever we have. And what we had was closing. And we noticed that um, this has been an industry within the West where people donate and then people and the charities make that into money, which they say is going somewhere else. But the scandals show us that many times some of that money was not really going to the right place. So we wanted to do it different. We wanted to actually start using that, this uh, clothes to go and give it to people. And, uh, and, and um, that has actually been one of the reasons why it changed my life. This just grew so fast because after the first container, when we shipped the container and we distributed the donation, then we came back and actually showed everybody, look what we did. We started getting help from everywhere, you know, Nike, William Martini Racing, so many, you know, I'm not going to adver- advertise them now, but so many companies, because it was so authentic. They are not used to see a small charity being run by students, university students, because I've been a full-time student all throughout the charity. And being able to come pick up donations ship the donation, distribute the donation, come back and show proof of it. But the reason why these short-term solutions continue to be a very important thing in the communities that we work on in Sub-Saharan Africa is because when I go into a place and I'm giving somebody a hat in 2014 and I come back to the same place in 2018 and that person still has the same hat, there's no way I cannot be moved by that and realize that that hat has power. I think we tend to mistake or we tend to, for, to, 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 to forget or maybe uh, not look at one thing. Things have meanings. And even though people say, you know, sending clothes to Africa is just going to make the industry, the local industry be destroyed. But that's because people that are doing that, they are doing it, they are selling the clothes. So that's why they are destroying maybe the industry there. But the reality of it, even in terms of the ecological side of it, is better for people to, you know, make use of the clothes as much as possible rather than the company just, you know, they didn't sell and just throw it away. So the reason why we continue to, and we know that what we do in terms of the short term 
um, activities that we do still very relevant to the reality of the population that people are still needing what we are sending. People are still needing what we know won't last forever. So people still need hats because they're farmers. So the relationship that they have with the hat is so important. It's, it's like when, when they put on that hat, they feel like they are, you know, untouchable. That's the type of, uh, so that's the type of research. I mean, that's the, the type of data that we came up with when we were speaking to them. Like, you know, the, the hat was white. It's now literally like ripped off, but they're still wearing it. So that's why we started to think, okay, maybe, maybe, not even maybe, we are very sure that people have a connection with clothes that is just, it's just, it's just different. And then I, I'm talking about hats, but I can also talk about the jackets in areas where it's really, really cold and people have that. So people, it's just the meanings that people give to things which make us believe that what we do continue to be very important in terms of, uh, in terms of what we do in terms of the short term. But more than that is the capacity for us to realize that in order for us to go where we want to go, it's important for us to start somewhere. And starting somewhere requires this type of activities that we do at least all the way since we began with the charity. But the fact that while we've been doing it has pretty much directed us towards what we are now planning to do in terms of sustainable development projects, it shows that there's, everything really is a process. So this is the reason why I believe that, um, that uh, it's very important for, for us to continue and why we believe that the work that we do continues and it will continue to be massive, 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 because people really need it. That's just the, the, the answer to it. People really need it. That's, there's no other way around it. People really, really, really need it. I think you've, you've picked up on so many important and really, really complex topics there. I think the one point that really stuck out to me was the power and importance of small local charities, or at least small charities. I mean, you describe Change One's Life there as a, a relatively small charity and the the opportunities and the impact that those sort of organisations can have, perhaps in contrast to some of the larger ones, which I think was a really interesting point. I mean, I know, for example, that in the humanitarian space, small, particularly local charities account for about only 1%, which I think, again, is a really stark statistic. So what do you make of that? And I think more broadly, what, if anything, do you feel needs to change within the global development industry? Again, this isn't an easy question. I know there's lots to it, but I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts. I think, I think um, there's, a, there's a big, 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 I think there's a big problem that is rooted within the global industry, development industry, which uh, I, I'm very happy to see that more and more people have been, you know, pinpointing the issues that we've been having, you know, the way in which development has been happening, which is not helping. Because if you look at it, if development is meant to end poverty, the data shows that it's actually increasing poverty. And, 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 and the system of dependence that development has created is so dangerous that at the end of the day, you're like, wait, many of these countries, they will never be able to really develop because of just how stuck they are within this international uh, development industry. But, um, but um, the reality of it is that... Um, the problem is, is just that uh, even within this industry, there's um, monopolies that continue to perhaps make the distribution of aid very, um, I guess, very centralized, you know, not really, not really diversified. 
And some of those that get the credit, sometimes they're not even the one carrying out the work. I, I know there are a lot of cases where uh, big charities, even big global institutions, they get the credit, they even get global prices, but the people that are really doing the work are local charities that are really putting the, you know, the hands dirty, it's dirty, it's, it's local charities that are doing everything, grassroots charities. And that's not just within people that are working in Africa, even within the UK. And, and, and I started to, to, to look into this issue and uh, I started to, which is a debate that I started, I'm trying to create within countries like Angola, where it's a very centralized system where the government, it seems to be the, the one that needs to solve all the problems. But in the UK, you can tell that um, we, 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 what we call the third sector, which has been very important for the contribution, not just for, 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 for aid as a whole, but um, just for the contribution of, 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 of the GDP of the country as, as well. So there isn't such thing as a third sector in many countries. And, and, and after COVID, I, in one of the activities, I actually said, look, we need to begin to speak about the third sector where it's us, basically. We need, people need to understand that what we do can be data for us to help because if you forget the government, we are almost 33 million people here. If each one of us donate one pound, imagine we could actually build, you know, a, 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 many of the hospitals for the COVID, you know. So many of these debates began to come out um, through the through the work that I've been doing it, 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 throughout the pandemic. But uh, but I think the challenges are just that um, the, the the process of distribution of um, resources is still very centralized, and um, and um, and maybe the people that are maybe are willing and really have the knowledge and the capacity to carry out some of the missions that really do much of the work, they continue to be very not invited within the space of decision-making. And there's also this idea of one side fits all where, you know, if, he, if, if something that was implemented in Zambia worked, that means that it's also gonna work in Angola, that means that it's also gonna work in Namibia. When I, you know, even though they're part of the same continent, but a, a country with different identities, different realities, so we need to be patient and involve local people to understand what's best for countries like that. And, and, and I guess within international uh, development industry, people have been very lazy to realize that um, each case is a new case. And, and that's the reason why we've been making a lot of mistakes and just giving country money, 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 money. And uh, rather, rather than actually <laughs> things happen the way we want them to happen, they actually get worse. So I think there's a lot of um, issues within the development um, industry. And I think uh, the pandemic also came to expose that even more. And now that we are living through a new reality where it will be more important for people to cooperate with local uh, NGOs, with, with, with grassroots organizations, I, I'm optimistic that now we'll see maybe perhaps a more dynamic um, a more dynamic uh, practice in terms of the international development industry. So yeah, the, the issues are massive, but I, but I think they are, they, are, they are right there. I think they are, they are resolvable. We just need to really, you know, make sure that we bring more people to the decision-making process. We diversify the China of uh, resource distribution. And more than that, we, we, we start looking at things as, a, as if one side fits all, you know, it's, it's, each country has its own reality. There are so many really, really important, albeit very complex ideas that you've talked through there and totally agree of the need, particularly to involve local decision makers. And I think that really comes back to the heart of, of what you've been talking about today, about how 
to make this process participatory, to make it community driven and to elevate a range of voices. And in fact, at Milson, that's perfectly on brand with what we are trying to do here at Voices of Development, which is all about elevating a real range of diverse voices, all of the different actors involved within the global development industry. So I think all of what you've just said really resonates and absolutely on brand with with what we're what we're doing here. But zooming into the individuals as well. Now, we no doubt have a number of listeners here thinking, I'd love to make a positive impact in whatever way that might be. That could be in a similar vein to some of the work you're doing. It could be in a really different way. But nevertheless, they may be feeling there are so many challenges out there, albeit some great solutions, and I'm not sure where to start. So, Ed Milson, what would you say to someone who is sitting there thinking something along those lines? I will definitely tell them to start where you are, how you can, with whatever you have in order for you to get where you want. That's the first thing that I would say. And if you think you are too small to make an impact, I know this is a phrase that people say all the time, lock yourself in a room with a mosquito and see how such a small thing can have a massive impact. And we have, like Nelson Mandela said, our time in this earth is limited. And we have to make sure that while we're here, we need to do everything we can to change the direction or the dynamics of whatever we want to do for our country or for for, for, for the globe, because today, a problem for one becomes a problem for all. I think it's important for people to finally come out of the comfort zone and realize that you have the power to be the change you want to see. It doesn't matter what you do, who you are, where you come from. You have the power to change things. And that's a fact. That's not a dream. It's a fact. And once people realize that and the, the fire within them sparks, they, they 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 become unstoppable. They do things that um you know that um that one would never ever thought of, and 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 it's important. And I think that's the good side of COVID nineteen. Besides the fact that it has taken so many lives, I think it has taught us a lot, and really is a time for us to realize that um the power and the responsibilities within all of us, all of us today, for COVID to stop. We can't say the government just should just do, do, do. No, no, no. We also have to take responsibility and take action in order for us to fight against such as, such as, such as, you know, the, 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 the invis- invisible enemy, as they call it. But um, I think it's important for us to finally come out of our comfort zone. And, uh, and um, I'm a believer of giving people options of how to get involved and how to help. If you don't identify yourself with helping children, Go out there and do what you like. If it's environment that you like, go out there and fight for whatever for that for that cause. If it's women rights that you that you identify with, go out there and fight for that cause. But don't 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 waste the power within you to make change. And I think that's the message that I will per- perhaps send it to people that are out there listening to us right now. You are powerful. Make sure you make use of that power. Milson, thank you. And you talk about being powerful you talk about being unstoppable let me ask you do you feel that very much very much there are moments where i feel like i'm superman i feel like 
on daily basis, I'm now, you know, people call me, you're crazy. Sometimes we have a mission to do tomorrow. You, like you, ne you never say no for you. Nothing seems impossible. And that's how I say we are now going through the dynamics of do as you speak, because I have become addicted to the idea of nothing can stop me when I really want to do things for the better of people. And, uh, and right now I've, I'm on fire. I feel on fire in a, in, in a positive way. You know, if I want to change the way in which the dynamic of the continent, the dynamic of my country is going in terms of trying to eradicate poverty, in terms of trying to mobilize youth to fight against something bigger than ourselves, which is the burden of our country. It, whatever it is, I'm now, you know, and, and, and once you start, you know, thinking about it and actually making things happen, then you become more comfortable within your skin for you to see yourself as somebody that has the power to change things. And I think right now, at the age of 28, I think everything that I have done and everything that I plan to do and I know I will do, I think also comes from this power that I have pretty much sparked within me. And now it's, it's, it's like I said, it's God time. I need, to, I, need, I, I need to continue with that spirit to make sure that I need to continue with this spirit to make sure that things uh, continue to happen the best way possible. What an empowering note to end on. Edmilson, Angelo, you really are making the change you want to see in the world. And I look forward to seeing what you and Change One's Life have in store in the coming months and years ahead. Thank you so much for being an incredible first guest on Voices of Development. Thank you. Thank you. I can, I, you know, it's such a pleasure for me to find out that I, I'm the first guest in this amazing podcast, uh, Voice of Development, um, the idea behind it is amazing. I hope people become more aware and maybe start to find out more about small charts like Change One Life through Voices of Development and, you know, and, and, and continue. And I hope you guys continue to spark this debate in terms of um, the international development industry because it's important for us to, to you know, to open up space to, to talk about the issues and, and more than that, to come up with solutions because only that way we'll be able to really take things in the right direction. Thank you, Ed Milson. It's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. Nah, thank you very much. The pleasure is all mine. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please do rate, review and subscribe to this podcast. This really does make all the difference with getting these messages out there. You can also follow us on Instagram for our latest updates. And please do get in touch if you have any feedback or questions for our guests. Contact details can be found in the bio. The next episode will be coming your way in the next few weeks. But for now, thank you again for listening to Voices of Development. <laughs>